Uh, actually, I do have something I want to say before I start. My parents are here this weekend, um, and we're happy to have them down. Um, but they're not here to hear me preach. They're here because my littlest one is three years old today. It's her birthday. So grandparents will always figure out how to get down to their grandchildren. Um, let me pray before we begin. Father, I thank you for your um, faithfulness. Lord, I ask that you would give me the words to speak as I work through your text and that you give these people ears to hear what you want them to hear. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us all and make us encouragements to each other. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning I am going to be preaching through Acts 15:36 to 41. Um, if you want to turn in your Bibles there, this text is. You may be familiar with Paul's missionary journeys. He had three of them. Today's text is the point at which Paul begins his second missionary trip. So just keep that in mind as we're going through this. But that's the context of this passage. This is how Paul begins his second missionary trip. I'm going to read Acts 15:36 through 41. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord, and see how they are. And Barnabas was desirous of taking John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. And there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. My purpose for this message is that you would imitate both Paul and Barnabas and that you would both desire and have the ability to be able to be encouragers um, through looking at this text. Um, when we look at the text, we don't automatically necessarily see encouragement. So I want to show how both Paul and Barnabas um, are being encouragers. But first I want to start with Paul. So look at verse 36 and 37. After some days, Paul and Barnabas, uh, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brethren in every city in which we would proclaim the word of the Lord to see how they are. The first thing I want you to notice is that um, Paul is the one who is wanting to go out to all the places they've preached before and encourage the brothers that were in the sisters that were in those towns. And his desire for doing this is because he wants to encourage and strengthen the churches. So I want you to see that Paul's heart is in the right spot in this text. It's Paul who had this idea to go start this trip. And um, Paul's the one who brings the idea to Barnabas. I think that's important to remember because 
my first time reading through this text, I thought maybe Paul was being a little overbearing or something by getting upset that John Mark had left on the first trip. So I, I think that's a good corrective to see that it's Paul who has um, a right heart in this situation. Um, I can show that from the text just by looking at the word that he uses for visit here. What he says is, um, let's go visit. And the word's not used many times in the Bible, in the New Testament at least. However, it's used in some key spots with reference to being very concerned for the welfare of others. Um, I just want to look at two verses real quick. The first is Jesus uses this word when he says that I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. So you see how Jesus is using the word visit, this particular word. It's a, it is a, a word that goes beyond our thought of, hey, I'm going to go visit a friend. It's a word that has concern built in it. And James uses the word the same way when he says, this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, our Father, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So we see that Paul is very concerned with the, the people that he has first ministered to and he wants to go back and visit them to make sure that they're doing well. Um, I think that I just want to show a little bit of application here. This is indeed what we should be doing as um, whether you're a shepherd or whether you're caring for somebody. What we don't do is come and present the gospel and then leave them to fend for themselves. We heard this morning of a family down in was it Bolivia who is looking for a church. If somebody has come and preached the gospel to them, but they need somebody else to come up and support them in this. And this is exactly what Paul is looking to do. So when we do either missions work or do gospel work, we're not looking for numbers. What we're looking for is to encourage and strengthen up people. And that's what Paul's looking for. I want you to second look that Barnabas' heart is in the right spot. Look at Barnabas' reply. Um, as a kind of paraphrase of his reply is, Paul comes to him and says, hey, let's go start this second trip and encourage people. And Barnabas says, hey, I'm with you. Let's go. That sounds like good. Um, however, he introduces the concept of let's bring John Mark with us. And it's this point where these two men, both with good intentions, have a disagreement that they need to overcome. And I want to look at that disagreement for a second. Um, in verse 38, it says, Paul kept insisting that they should not take him who had deserted them and had not gone on to the work. In order to understand why Paul didn't want John Mark to come with him, I mean, he gives the two reasons. One, he deserted. And two, he didn't do the work that was before them. I want to look at who John Mark is so that we'll know more about his story, what he was doing. Uh, Acts 13.5 says that John Mark was on the very first missionary trip that Paul took. Paul and Barnabas were set apart by the Holy Spirit and they went off to Cyprus to do their first work. We're told in Acts 13.5 that 
um, John Mark was with them on that trip. It says, in, um, and they also had John as their helper. And this is on the island of Cyprus. However, what we find out later, actually only eight verses later, is that after working in the island of Cyprus, when the, the apostles go up to work at the next spot up in Asia Minor, John Mark departs from them at that point. Um, and we're not told why he departs, just that he departs. He was their helper. He's no longer with them. Um, so there's just a little quick background on who John Mark is. He was the helper and he um, did not go on to the work. So why, at this point, would Barnabas want to bring John Mark with him? If, if John Mark was somebody who can't hack it, who can't keep up when the going gets tough, why would he want to bring John Mark again? In order to understand Barnabas and what he was thinking, I want to look at Barnabas' life briefly. Barnabas, um, what we're told is that he is an encourager. Actually, his name means son of an encourager. Um, it's not his real name. What we find in Acts 4.36 is that his real name is Joseph, but they called him Barnabas because that means son of encouragement. Um, Barnabas has been working with Paul for a long time at this point. When we get to this point in this passage, what we find is Barnabas has at least five major um, run-ins with Paul that are all good. Um, the first is when Paul first became a believer, nobody in the church wanted anything to do with Paul because Paul had been a persecutor of the church. Um, Paul was the one who was dragging people off to prison. Um, and the, what we read in uh, Acts 9.26 concerning Barnabas and Paul. It says, when Paul had come to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples. And they were afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and, he had talked to the, um, and how he had talked to him. So we have Barnabas being the one who is actually introducing Paul into the fold of the disciples. Beyond that, there are, with the other five points where Barnabas um, helps Paul, as we see Barnabas is on the first trip, missionary trip. Barnabas is going with Paul when he goes down to Jerusalem to bring money when their Jerusalem is actually under a famine. Barnabas and, Barnabas and Paul work together when um, there's a dispute about whether the Gentiles should keep all the laws of Moses. Um, all throughout this point until Acts, it's Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. And so I just want to have that as the background, that these two are very good friends. They're partners in the ministry. Um, and that Barnabas' ministry is one of encouragement. And that's important to look at because there's a passage in Colossians which actually says that Barnabas is John Mark's cousin. And so some people will look at this passage before us and say, Oh, Barnabas just wants to bring his cousin along. He's doing nepotism, or he's he's he can't see that Bar that John Mark is really just going to be a problem because he's concerned for his cousin. And 
what I want to say is, I think Scripture points out that that is not a just accusation. That there's no, we don't. That's not uh, something that we should say. In fact, what Scripture says about Barnabas is that in Acts 11:23 it says, um, when they had basically encouraged the people. Um, in Acts 24, in that verse 24, it says that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Um, so to take an accusation of Barnabas is, is just practicing nepotism, looking out for his cousin, and put that up against what Scripture says, what the Holy Spirit says about Barnabas, I don't think that that works. So then the next question is, um, so why does he want to bring uh, John Mark if it's not because of nepotism, or for that matter, why does Paul not want to bring him along? Um, I think Paul does not want to bring John Mark along because John Mark did something more than just leave the apostles when they were on the first missionary trip. What he did was he left the work, and I want to show you what the work was that he left. When we're reading through the second missionary trip, what we find is that Paul and Barnabas ran into opposition throughout their whole ministry during that trip, both on the island of Cyprus where Mark was involved, but also once Mark left, Paul and Barnabas um, had their lives threatened in one city. They went to the next city, and Paul was actually stoned and left for dead. Um, After that city, they got up and they went to another city, each city they came to, they, were, um, they had terrible opposition, even to the point where Paul says that they um, feared for their lives or almost even despaired of life. And this is uh, important to look at because this is actually what Paul thinks of when he thinks of his ministry. Every, when Paul is writing in his epistles about his ministry, it always relates to the suffering that he's doing. It does include preaching of the gospel, but it also includes the suffering that he's doing for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the church. Um, And in this ministry of suffering, Paul is saying that the, the, the message itself is a message of suffering. And um, therefore, even on his first missionary trip, we have a, um, a summary of the message in Acts 14.22. It says that they encouraged the faithful, saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of heaven. And what Paul will do in other spots in his epistles is say that his life is actually supposed to be an example for those who are um, hearing his preaching. In other words, he's not just coming to preach to somebody. He's coming to be an example for them and how to live their lives. I think it's at this point where you can see the initial dilemma that Paul has. Paul has said that his ministry is one of, yes, proclamation, but also suffering. And that suffering includes having other people watch him in his suffering and even imitate him. Um, After listing a whole... um, long list of things that uh, he will suffer for or he has suffered for in 1 Corinthians 4, 16 he says 
I exhort you, therefore, be imitators of me. Um, and it's in regard to a life of self-denial and to suffering. And again, in another passage, in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, he says that the Thessalonians became imitators. This time it's not just of Paul, it's of us. And Paul's including his whole ministry entourage. In other words, all those that go out and preach the gospel. He's saying, you became imitators of us. So Paul is very concerned with the life of those who do the ministry, but also join Paul in his ministry. Now, I think it should be clear at this point that if Paul is concerned with the life and if Paul's part of his message is imitate us, imitate us in our sufferings, then what can Paul say the next time he goes back and visits these towns, these churches, when John Mark didn't go? that he abandoned that trip. He didn't continue on in the preaching or in the suffering that Paul and Barnabas went on. So I think that for Paul, what he is running up against is his message would actually fall apart because part of his message is imitate me, imitate us. Um, And he wouldn't be able to say that if John Mark came along. So um, there may also be... some kind of um, something for Mark to think about, which is your actions have consequences. And the consequences are they can disqualify you from further ministry. In other words, since you dropped out of that ministry at the point that you did, now you want to come back in. At this point, you're disqualified. You have disqualified yourself. Um, it's interesting to look at it that way because Paul himself talks this way in 1 Corinthians 9. And this is what Mark should have done, but Mark didn't do this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.27, I buffet my body. In other words, I beat my body and I make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. And I think what Paul is saying to Mark and to Barnabas at this point is Mark did not say no to his body when he ran into the sufferings, but just abandoned the ministry at that point. When the going got tough, Mark dropped out. And what Paul is saying is, after preaching to others in Cyprus, he disqualified himself by abandoning the ministry. I've got one more thing that I want to look at with regard to um, Paul and Barnabas and what I think that both of them have actually right motives is just there was a misunderstanding of how, of how to go about this ministry. The first is, I think it's clear from the text that, Barnab- that Paul is actually right both from the standpoint of the church and from the standpoint of the author in this text. Um, and I can say this because if you look at verse 38, or I mean 40 and 41, it's there that Paul is given the blessing as he goes off to do his ministry. Um, the second is, from the author's perspective in writing the book of Acts, Barnabas and Mark are never mentioned again. And I think that's instructive for looking at what is going on in this text. 
from here on out, it's all Paul and new helpers. Um, so there's, from the author's perspective, Paul is the one that we're supposed to be looking at from here on out. The last thing is, and this goes into what Mark did when he disqualified himself, I think it's interesting to see that where Barnabas and Mark actually go to, what it says is that Barnabas and Mark sailed for Cyprus, and Paul went up to Cilicia. And that's important, I think, because that's actually where Mark and Barnabas did go the first trip. On the first missionary journey, Paul, Barnabas, and Mark went down to Cyprus. Sorry for you, it's this way. Went down to Cyprus and did their work in this island. And it wasn't until they went up to Asia Minor that John Mark left. Well, it's almost like Barnabas is saying, okay, Paul, I agree with you now that you've said it that way. But Mark didn't disqualify himself in Cyprus. He endured that ministry. And so Barnabas and Mark go down to Cyprus. And instead of Paul going down to Cyprus, he goes up to the other towns that they went. So it's almost like both of them are doing what they said they were going to do in the first verse. It's just they go different ways to get that done. Mark, where he did his work. Paul, where they, Paul and Barnabas did their work. There are some um, reasons from Barnabas's perspective why he was right, even though he was wrong in wanting to bring Mark along. What I want to look here is this is where I'm talking about being an encourager. And what we need to do is be an encourager like Paul, go out and encourage the churches, but also Mark was not an unbeliever. In other words, yes, Mark did fall away from the trip, but not away from the faith. And I think what Barnabas is doing is Barnabas is coming alongside of Mark at a time when Mark needed him to come alongside to strengthen Mark. Um, I'm just thinking it would be terrible for, Barnabas, for Mark at this time to think these two greats in the church are splitting over me and because I disqualified myself. And it would have been easy for Mark to dive bomb at that point. And I think what Barnabas is doing um, is saying, instead of being concerned about my own ministry and going along with Paul and let's go forward and evangelize the whole world, he's doing the encouragement thing of actually denying himself and saying, I'm going to invest my life in this one young man, even though... Um, he abandoned us early on. He's going to uh, take him under his wing in a way. And that's important because when we look at John Mark's life um, in the college group, we're teaching through the book of Mark. It's fascinating to see how Mark has written his gospel. The way he wrote his gospel is there's three things that come out real clear. One is, well, the before all things, Jesus is the Messiah, but that he's the suffering servant Messiah. He's the one who's going to suffer for everybody else. So in his suffering servant, I think Mark has finally come to realize that the life is going to be a life of suffering. The second is, the middle part of Mark is all about not only the suffering servant, but how the disciples are going to have to suffer 
for their Messiah in their ministry. Um, and a little aside, it's also fascinating to look at the way Mark has written his book because the apostles, the disciples under Jesus, are constantly wrong in Mark. Jesus is having to either rebuke them at times or show them that they're wrong, that they don't understand. So I think Mark is saying, look, this is the way we all are. We all fall away at times because we don't understand or because we haven't had the perseverance. Um, but Barnabas came by him, encouraged him, and brought him into, uh, along in the faith. So what I want you to see from this text is both Paul is, has his heart in the right spot. He wants to encourage the church. Barnabas' heart is in the right, right spot. He wanted to in the church, encourage the church, but now he's going to encourage uh, Mark. And um, in a sense, they're both right, except for Paul. Is, I think it's clear that Paul is right for not wanting to bring Mark, but Barnabas is also right for wanting to encourage Mark. Um, there's another interesting thing. If you look at Paul's dealings with Mark, because I think that this is the way Paul actually dealt with many in the church. He showed him, he showed Mark, that he had to deal with the consequences of his actions. Um, and it wasn't very happy for Mark in that first time around. However, just like in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, where he wrote hard things, even to the point that Paul had to say later, I regretted writing those things, but now I don't regret them because it grieved your heart in such a way that you were renewed as sort of, in a way. that it, it did you good, even though it was hard for you the first time. I think that's the same thing it was for here for Mark. These were hard words for Mark to hear, that he couldn't go along. However, looking at Mark's gospel and looking at how later on Mark and Paul do work together, not in that initial second ministry missions trip, but in the third missions trip, it's almost like Paul's saying, okay, now you've shown yourself that you're going to be one who's going to stick with it and persevere. Come help me in Philippi and Ephesus and other places. Um, what I want to do is to say, Paul's ministry is a ministry of proclamation of Jesus, but it's always in the context of suffering. In fact, today's table is the context of suffering and the suffering that Jesus did. And what Paul is saying is his ministry is that same suffering. And that same suffering is the uh, ministry that Mark had to do and that all of the people who will be preaching his word from that time forward will be undertaking both suffering for the sake of Christ and suffering for the sake of the gospel. Um, sorry, suffering for the sake of the church. I just want to close with an illustration. And in this illustration, I want you to see, I want you to be encouraged. Um, it's, going to be, it's a hard word, but it's encouraging because it shows us that our Christ is worth suffering for 
And it's encouraging because we see a pastor being encouraging those around him, and we see a wife encouraging her, pastor, her husband. In August 1944, one million Russian troops overran Romania and installed a communist government. Like the government of the Soviet Union, it was brutal dictatorship, jailing and murdering tens of thousands of innocent people. Soon after taking over, 4,000 clergy were called together to show support for the new government. Under fear of imprisonment, torture, and death, one Christian leader after another commended the new government. Sitting in the meeting was Richard Wormbrand, a Lutheran pastor, and his wife, Sabina. Sabina turned to her husband and said, Richard, stand up and wash away the shame from the face of Christ. They are spitting in his face. Richard whispered to her, If I do so, you lose your husband. She replied, I don't want to have a coward as a husband. So Richard arose and requested permission to speak. He walked up to the podium, looked out over the sea of faces, and he spoke into the microphone, which was broadcasting all over the country. It is our ministers, Wormbrand told the audience, to glorify Christ. Our loyalty is due first to him and not to earthly powers. As he spoke, applause burst forth from every part of the hall. Many jumped to their feet, cheering. Your right to speak has been withdrawn, an official shouted. My right to speak comes from God, Richard answered. Some time later, Richard was thrown into prison and tortured. Guards forced him to stand for hours in a narrow box with sharp metal spikes projecting out of every wall. His feet swelled and his legs trembled, and when he collapsed, the razor-sharp spikes tore his flesh. The soles on his feet the soles of his feet were beaten bloody. And here, actually, Leslie and I sat under his preaching when we were down at Columbia Bible College. And those beatings that he got were so bad that when he spoke to us, they brought up a chair for him to sit in because he couldn't stand on his feet for long periods. The pain was still so bad years later. Tortured and whipped, branded and knifed, they kept asking him, Why don't you give in? You are only flesh, and you will break in the end. He thought to himself, Christ was whipped and crucified, and it is my joy to share in his sufferings. When the interrogation and torture failed, then they tried to brainwash him. After eight and a half years, Richard was suddenly released under some sort of amnesty. In horrible, uh, torn clothing, he made his way back to his home. He opened the door, not knowing whether he would find his wife and son who he had left. And he opened the door. And he saw a young man looking at him. After a moment, this young boy of 18 said, Father, it, it, the boy was nine years old the last time he had seen him. He's got his boy grown up. He hasn't seen him. All he's seen for those past years, eight and a half years, is 
uh, torture and suffering. And the boy asked him, what did you learn during those years in prison and during those years of suffering? And he responded, there's four things that were always on my mind. The first thing is there is a God. The second thing is Jesus is the Savior. The third thing is there is eternal life. And the fourth thing is love is the best of ways. Richard worked in the underground church secretly for the next two years, despite being told not to. After two years of secret work in the church, he was taken again, put in prison, and tortured for another five years for the gospel. That's supposed to be encouraging words, because what it tells us is that our God and our Savior is worth suffering for. And I want to encourage you to, whether it's in class, to speak up for the gospel, whether it's with your um, friends, to encourage them in the ways of the gospel. Always be on the encouraging side. Encouraging. Um, Let me close in prayer. Father, these are hard words that we have to persevere through hard times lest we be disqualified like Mark was. Lord, if we've disqualified ourselves, bring around us somebody like Barnabas to encourage us to continue on and to bring us back into the fold. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.